PropTech is sponsored by Eden. Eden is the leading platform for workplace management with a division for software as a service tools and a division overseeing a managed marketplace for facility services. Eden enables fast growing companies to easily manage their offices using Eden's software products, including modern ticketing, facilities management, and visitor management tools. Eden's managed marketplace for workplace facility services offers everything from top rated office cleaning, handyman, and snack services. Join the thousands of companies, property managers, and landlords who power their workplace using Eden. You can learn more at www.eden.io. Again, that is www.eden.io. Alrighty, so we are here uh, live at 1871 in Chicago, and I can't think of a better place to have this topic today than at the number one tech accelerator in the world. And uh, we are talking about artificial intelligence. Here with me is Manny Burnaby, CEO of BigPlasma.ai. We're going to dig right into it. So Manny, why don't you give us a little bit of a background on yourself and, uh, and how you play in the world of AI? Sure. Thanks, Michael. Thanks for having me on the show. So a little bit of a background on myself and my career. So I actually um, studied finance and accounting in undergrad, believe it or not. And I started my career at a financial services company based here in Chicago called Northern Trust, in particular in their asset management arm. I did stints uh, on their bond trading desk, did some equity research, uh, portfolio management, and some quantitative investment work. And just got into number crunching and, and leveraging large amounts of data and statistics and computers to do um, my my investment work. And, and that's how I sort of got into the data science and, and machine learning space. After some time at, at Northern, I, I got approached by a growing startup here in the Chicagoland area called Uptake. And when I first heard the pitch around Uptake, it was you know kind of novel, kind of interesting. It was this concept around applying machine learning to the industrial IoT space. And, you know, for a finance guy, you know, not all that interesting kind of <laughs> off course for me. But um, I started learning more about the founders of Uptake, uh, Brad Keywell and Eric Levkowski, their track record. So uh, a little bit of background. They were the, f- the founders at Groupon, oh, which right, is okay. the, you know, the biggest tech store to come out of the Midwest. And so this was their next big thing. And I thought, you know, hey, you know, it'd be a great opportunity to get the startup experience outside of uh, Silicon Valley um, and here in my backyard of the Midwest. So I jumped at the, at the experience and, and um, joined their data science team. During my time at Uptake, I helped to stand up that team. We went from seven data scientists to roughly 70 data scientists in a little um, over two years, which was big, uh, big growth. Um, I was responsible for the infrastructure, team management, the business development side of, of the team. And then I also spent some time on the sales side and also on the product management side. So um, a lot of great experiences there at Uptake. So after about four years at Uptake, uh, I decided it was time to, to move on and, and try something even more entrepreneurial and decided to launch my own AI agency slash consultancy, uh, Big Plasma AI. And the mission for us is really to make AI and machine learning real for companies. I think that there are a lot of 
mid-sized to large organizations that have either not done anything with machine learning and AI or have tried it and have had a bad experience in trying to implement some of those initiatives, either, either through POCs or in working with vendors. And I just see a couple of key trends that are coming together that is going to make it, A, easier for companies to leverage AI technologies, and B, that are going to make it necessary for these companies to take advantage of these technologies or else they're going to be disrupted in their marketplace. So that's the, the idea behind Big Plasma AI and, and why we're really excited about uh, some of the work that we're doing. Yeah, no, that's incredible. I love it. And just touching on something you just said, it kind of it's a great segue into our conversation today. And I am, as always, guilty of quoting market reports. Uh, but MIT Sloan came out with a report on, it was actually called, which is the name of our episode, Who's Winning in AI? And I did not copy that from them, I swear. <laughs> um, but they interviewed 2,500 executives around the country and seven of the 10 executives, or I should say nine of the 10 executives believe AI is an opportunity, but seven of those 10 report minimal or no gains with their AI initiatives. So, you know, in terms of AI is is innovative. It's it can drive just unparalleled levels amount of change and efficiency within any organization. Whether you're talking about real estate, you're talking about enterprise management, or even just client products and deliverables. Right. But how do you win in AI? How do you make? How do you garner those efficiencies? And how do you successfully take that technology and integrate it into your business? Right. No, I I see that all the time in our business. I think there are a couple of, of areas where, where companies fall a little bit short. One is they don't always have the expertise needed at a, at a C-suite level to drive these initiatives forward. And you do need someone at that level to be championing these projects and these, uh, these programs. This is still kind of a, a research and development type of, of area. And so there's going to be some ambiguity in terms of where you're going to, to, to be getting the most return on your investment on these initiatives, the, the timeline over which you're going to see those, those gains, and then also the investments that you have to make in your technology and in your people. Um, there's, a, there's a lot of, of question marks there, and you need someone that has sort of a, a, a business mind, certainly, to, to, to operate at that level, um, but you also need someone that has enough familiarity with the technology to point those resources in the right direction and guide the organization through that tricky path, which is, which is, not, uh, which is not straightforward at all. A couple of things that I've seen that have presented issues for, for my clients have been lack of data. So it's one thing that it's one thing to to say you're going to use predictive analytics to um, help optimize your your services, your products. But if you don't have any historical data, it's going to be very difficult for a data scientist to do anything meaningful when it comes to machine learning. Right. Uh, the other issue that I've seen is a lack of talent internally to help do some of that machine learning work. Mach data science and, and machine learning um, engineers, excuse me, data scientists and machine learning engineers, they're hard to come by. Uh, you're competing against tech giants and everybody else that wants to get their hands on, 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 on this talent. And so, you know, how are you going to bring those folks 
in-house and get them to work on the problems that you want them to, to work on. That can be pretty tough too. And is that, so talking about the talent component of it, is this something that can be, re, can you retool existing employees to be data scientists? Like, you know, there's a lot of, you know, we always hear about different um, tech platforms coming out where they're automating. Um, like you see ServiceNow, for example, they've announced at their user conference, I think it was last year, how they're now able to automate writing code. So it's really, they're creating more and more and all these companies are working towards creating very off the shelf platforms that can just kind of streamline or simplify the skill set required to do these kind of innovative things. Are you seeing that with AI or is that something more unique to just coding itself? Um, and, and those are kind of mutually exclusive from one another. I say there's 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 a component that, that, that might be alleviated by training up existing employees. So you might have someone that's working internally as an analyst. And if you can have them take additional courses and, and give them additional support that might help, you know, that might help bring them up to a, a data scientist uh, level or a machine learning engineer level. Um, but I think that's maybe 25% of the solution. And only after you've set up a proper internal team of experienced data scientists that are going to set up a kernel of of that team and and bring in best practices and set up the proper infrastructure and procedures and systems so that those those new newly trained employees can continue to to, to meet that need but uh, my sense is that it's still like where we are right now, you still need these specialized folks to come in and to stand up those teams and to, to, to really drive that forward. Right. So pivoting a little bit towards coming back to real estate now and the whole built world, you know, there's a number of use cases out there for AI. But when we look at, you know, the, the commercial vertical or the residential vertical and the retail vertical, which areas do you see um, as the highest potential within e within each of those? So it's kind of a loaded question, but when I think about retail, right, I think about, you know, maybe it's it, there's customer experience play, but then there's a supply chain management play. But then also in looking at, um, there's a lot of great technologies coming to market just from a portfolio planning perspective where you're using AI and machine learning to really, and I, I always bundle those two together. Are yep. they really that like conjoined or is that just, am I, is that just me being a creature of habit? Sure. Good question. I so, just totally segued there <laughs> on you, but I think it's a, an important question. Yeah. Let's, let's, let's take those two, two questions individually. Uh, so com commercial versus retail, you know, my sense is that it's probably easier to get this innovation on, on the commercial side because you're, you are going to need a significant amount of upfront investment to stand up these teams and to build out the technology. And you need a little bit of a, of a, of a longer investment window to realize those returns. And so my sense is that the commercial side is where you're going to see that. Um, retail is going to follow as the, the price points come down and uh, it's easier for smaller companies to try out new technologies. Um, I think that's when you'll see more uh, proliferation on the retail side. So I, I expect it happening first on the commercial side and then also on the retail side, perhaps in parallel. Um, in terms of AI and machine learning, yeah, that's a, that's a question that I get all the time. Um, so the, the background is that 
You know, AI is a term that's been around for about 70 years. This first started bubbling up in the 1950s when we started getting excited about computers and about computers mimicking human intelligence, thus yeah. artificial intelligence. So th things like sense perception, logic, comprehension. Um, we started theorizing about how computers can, can, can do that. But it's been a long time coming. There's there's been a lot of starts. There've been there've been a lot of stops along the way. Um, it hasn't really been into the last thirty years that we started seeing real material gains on that front with more data becoming available, better algorithms becoming available, and new statistical approaches becoming more um, more vetted and shared in the academic uh, community. And so that's when you start hearing the term machine learning start, 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 start come about. And then most recently, we've had an even greater breakthrough in data and, and, and algorithms. And so now you have a new suite of machine learning algorithms called deep learning models that are enabling computer programs to drive cars and recognize human conversation and reciprocate. And so that's just a new world that's being opened up by these new algorithms. In general, the way that I would describe AI, if you wanted to keep it really simple, I'd say it's a computer system that is trying to mimic human intelligence in those ways that we talked about in logic and sense perception and in comprehension. And it's a system that gets systematically better with more data, either with more historical data. So if you're trying to predict the prices of, of homes, if you have 10 years worth of data, that's better than having two years worth of data. Or in getting feedback in terms of the system's predictions. So for these driverless car applications and programs, they're getting constant feedback in terms of how good their predictions or, or their or their outputs are based on real world, real world feedback in their environment. So if you satisfy those two, those two uh, criteria for me, I, I would consider the AI and, and, and machine learning, but I agree. It's, it's, it, there's a lot of terms uh, there that, that get uh, slung around. And, and so it's, uh, it's sometimes a little bit hard to make sense of it all. Yeah. And um, I know I'm kind of jumping around a little bit here, yeah. but it's, a, it's probably a topic we could do a few episodes on, but quite frankly, so we're squeezing a lot in here, but Going back to the, you know, so some of the things I got from what you said in your opening was really around, it, there's a talent component to it. There's a executive focus component to it. And there's a focus of really building a strong, robust R&D organization, or you could say a skunk works, right? Right. But when it comes to the teams you're putting together, does that sit within the IT organization? Does it sit within the business face of the organization or is it a blend of the two? So I think that composition... Putting together teams always uh, requires some kind of analysis, but what does that composition look like um, to enable whatever AI initiative it is um, for success? My my experience has been that it's it's generally best to to have a a data science team as a standalone entity, a centralized team that is reporting up to a C-suite level executive and also has close collaboration with the technology team for sure, but it has the autonomy to try out different things, to set up the own, their own environment, to utilize the tools that they want to utilize, and importantly, work independently with the individual business units. I think that's really important for, for a number of reasons. 
One is the value of AI and machine learning is generally going to be borne out in use cases that are presented by these individual business units. And the value is going to be measured in a, an IT type of way, in a statistical type of way, like in terms of how efficient are we in terms of um, standing up a particular service, but also from a business perspective in terms of, you know, yeah, given that I can send this prediction to this frontline person, but is that frontline person seeing any value in that prediction or in that service? Or is it just me, you know, just having a fancy model that looks really good on paper, but no one is really paying attention to? Well, we talked about that in one of our earlier episodes, actually, where it's, you know, you could say that you have this machine learning and AI-based predictive model that will predict when your light bulb is going to go out. Yeah, right. But it's all right. If the light bulb goes out, we'll change it. It's right. not going to. It's not going <laughs> to move. It, you know what I mean? It's not going to really move the needle. But um, I think that's an important component. Is and again, it's something we talked about earlier. But it's really uh, it is there is something to making sure that it actually has some kind of whether it's a business gain or a monetary efficiency gain, and that that's got to be a core component of it. Totally. And the the folks at the business level are going to tell you that right away. And it's best to, to have those folks early in the conversations so that as you as a data scientist, you're thinking about developing a new and interesting model and you're ready to spend three months on the mathematical and statistical side and on the computer programming side, it's best not to waste that if it's going to be a superficial type of prediction that is not going to generate any significant value for those frontline users. That's an issue that comes up all the time. Um, you have to get that feedback early. And so you talk about having, um, you need to have a large database or a large quantum of data to really be efficient and be successful in this uh, within this wheelhouse. And, and this is speaking to more of the probably founder and service provider audience. But when it comes to data ownership, I can imagine because, I mean, data is a very powerful commodity and I can imagine any company that is acquiring or paying for these kind of services or for, for some kind of technology wants to own what they what, what is theirs. Sure. But if you're a founder or a service provider, you need that data to then power your system, if I'm right. understanding it correctly. Right. How do you navigate that? Is it something where it's just you have to take it on a use case by use cases basis and ingest that data individually? Or are there ways of mutual ownership or collaboration that kind of negate that concern? I think the way you answer that question is by looking at two things, uh, or I guess looking at two questions. One is, is it core to your business? So if, if the data is, is particular to your domain, and it is enriched by your domain expertise, then that is very valuable data that you have to really be conscious of how you share and how you um, provide to other folks. The second question is, can you monetize it? So, you know, do you have it in a, in a readily accessible format? Do you have the, the machine learning expertise talent and infrastructure to train models off of that data and to make your internal teams better or even or or better yet sell it out in the marketplace as an independent service or a product and so if the answer to the the first one is yes it's core to our business then that's one um 
vote in terms of keeping that in-house. And then if the answer to the second question is yes, we can monetize it, then I think you have to keep it in-house. So, you know, th- those are the two things that I would I would look at as, as I'm trying to answer that question for my clients. So if you're keeping it in-house, let's go down that pathway. Mm-hmm. So you're keeping it in-house is really the strategy then is you've got to, if you're going to keep it in-house, you really need to build that team internally. Um, or do you think there's a world where you can still play with a outside service provider um, to help build that? Like when it comes to, I guess, outsourcing it, if you go to like a large IT outsourcing company or consulting company, right? I would assume that's a world where you could own the data and still do it. But if you wanted to use like a innovate, more innovative startup-based platform, is there a world where you can have your cake and eat it too? I think there is. It's it's not always the case that you have the expertise to monetize that data. And there's there's enough value that a, a vendor and um, or a, or a company can provide back to you by using your data that it's it's worth sharing that data with that with those folks. So um, I would say yes, if that value that's coming back your way is greater than than the potential value. Excuse me, the potential value that you might be leaving off the table by not going about and monetizing yourself. That's oftentimes the case because it is hard to stand up these teams that you need to extract the value from that data internally. It is really, it's a really interesting kind of conundrum though when you think about it. Yeah, it's a um, tough one. one of the last questions I have for you, it's the question I ask kind of everybody, but I, I wanna talk about this more in the context of AI in line with this episode is, I like to always ask, you know, where do you, where do you see PropTech three years from now? But then also, what do you think is one of the key, or maybe it's a few because it's so there's so much there, but what are the, um, let's say, top five or top three opportunities you see for AI in the built environment? It can be anything. It could cover commercial, residential, retail. Your top three things that you're most excited about. Top three. All right. That's that's tough. And just in the commercial real estate side? I would say looking at commercial, residential, um, Let's look at the built environment in general. Where do you see AI driving the most change? So area number one for me has has to be around predictive analytics on all the machinery that goes into keeping a building running and keeping people comfortable in, in, in that building, in that asset. There are a whole bunch of um, machines that can break down at, at any moment, can make people uncomfortable. There are different settings you might have, and you know this can all be optimized to make that experience um, a lot better for folks. And to me, that's an optimization problem, that's a machine learning problem, that's a data problem, that's an IoT problem. Are you getting all the data that you need to make those decisions? So that's, that's where my mind goes in terms of, of number one opportunity. I think another opportunity for me would be around helping folks make decisions around buying and leasing office space. So if I'm starting a company and I need to think about what all, you know, if I think about my requirements, what my team needs, where I'm going to be most comfortable. To me, there's just so much data around optimizing that decision uh, from the demographics to uh, the building requirements to the, the, um, you know, the, uh, the neighborhoods. Um, that's a multi-factor optimization problem. And I think you can improve that um, quite a bit. The other area where I would, I would go to is sort of on, more on the residential side in terms of making it easier 
to um, facilitate the transaction of of, of of real estate. You know, if you, if you look at that process, it's still... Uh, takes too long. There's a lot of uh, people that are involved. There's a lot of paperwork involved. You know, to me, I'm not sure why that can't move towards more of the experience that we have with our everyday online purchases that you might have, right? Yeah. Like, why does it take three months to close on uh, a home? It should be, you could argue that it should take that long because of the moving and all that. But, you know, it, you can also argue that there's a lot of tedious kind of um, paperwork that has happened there are a lot of procedures a lot of things that can be um, uh, improved by leveraging uh, data and, and machine learning yeah and I, already, I almost think about uh, what's I, I see commercials for them all the time Carvana car vending machines exactly. if you can buy a car out of a vending machine I mean I don't think you can buy a house out of that but <laughs> <laughs> you get my point though I mean that that's a complicated acquisition process in and of itself so that's right it makes sense it, that is kind of a question mark I do have is why why can't we be a little bit more efficient there that's right that's right and I think that's you know you have these these um, purchases that were that are more legacy and they have um, you know they've been around for a while and they're gonna start moving in that direction be more instantaneous and and more digital. Yeah, that's great. I really appreciate you taking the time today. There's so much to, I, th I think there's still a lot to unpack here, but this is great context uh, to one of the biggest buzzwords in our space. So yeah. Manny, thank you. Thank you for having me on the show, Michael. Appreciate it. Absolutely.